Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The New Encounter, and it is part of the New Church Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. Well, how many of you excited to be with God's people today? Amen? We're, we're really excited about the two services. And um, the way, the, really the way it all started, it was like oh, nearly two years ago, we were at a, a conference. The whole staff was at a conference. We had CNE staff and pastoral staff at a conference and. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia, called Catalyst, and we we separated, went different directions. The CNE people went to one room, uh, one one per, one person's hotel room, and 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 the uh, pastoral staff and the other. And we were just talking about the vision for our church, and we we're unpacking some things we were hearing at this great conference. And separately, without any collusion, we we both came back and had talked about going to two services, about moving our fellowship area into the, into the sanctuary and therefore really connecting with one another better, connecting with our guests better, who feel, you know, don't always feel kind of like that's a private place they've never been before to go over into the gym. And uh, so uh, we just felt at that time this is what God was saying to us because of that, partly. And then the more we talked, thought about it, we, we realized we could keep growing because our parking lot won't handle the number of people that will fit in this room. So many, many Sundays, people, uh, the parking lot attendants are telling me that people are driving away because they can't get in. Can't, they can't find a place to park. And we don't want people parking on Route 140, right? So... Uh, what's going to give people options. I've talked to some people who work. Uh, uh, they get off at 2 in the morning, and they're going to be able to come, come to the 11 o'clock, 11.15 service. So that's going to be a big, big advantage. And um, Also, just the, the, some changes we're going to be making to this room and, and, uh, and to the uh, lobby out there, I think you're really going to be alike, and, and you're really going to... So we're really excited, and thank you for your tremendous support. Thank you for giving. Um, We've had some really generous giving, and we, of course, we, you know, you use, uh, you use the money you get, and we've had two people, two people have given $10,000 donations. Amen? So, thank you for your generosity. And one of them even told me, he said, I, 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 had, I had no idea they were going to do it, and I went to him and thanked him. He said, I want to get the word out about this church, because what this church has done in our lives. So, good things are happening. Well, we're going to get into the Word today, and uh, we're still in the book of Acts, and we're on the ninth sermon on the book of Acts this summer, and I hope you've uh, enjoyed it. We do have a, a reading uh, plan. If you haven't grabbed it, you could get in on the list, the last part of it. You could do all of it. it I, I would recommend you pick it. Do we have some back there, ushers? Do we have some reading plans left? Um, they're scrambling. Why don't you just raise your hand if you'd like one. Do we have plenty? Yeah, it, raise your hand if you'd like a, a Book of Acts reading plan. It's, got, it's also got some great questions. We got a bunch of hands, so give everybody a reading plan that wants one. 
And uh, I would really recommend, I, I recommend everybody, you read the book of Luke and you will find out uh, the details about Jesus. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. He was Greek, so he, he had our Gentile perspective in mind. And so read the book of Luke, you know all about Jesus, read the book of Acts. I believe those are the two most important books that you read if you haven't read the Bible before. And uh, you read the Luke and you find out about who Jesus is. You read Acts, you find out what the church is. And really, guys, if you're going to grow as a Christian, you have to grow, in, you have to grow in as, as a, a faith community as well. They're not separate things. Uh, you can grow to a certain point without church community, but there's a point where you cannot keep growing. There are, there are 30, 32 or 33 uh, uh, in, uh, instructions or commands in Scripture that you can only obey by being a part of a church, part of a church community. So that's why you need to know about the church. Okay. Let's get into it. We're going to go to uh, Acts chapter 22 in a moment. We're going to go to Romans 10. And we got a verse in Matthew 19 as well. Perhaps the most dynamic and transformational change that happened in the church after Jesus rose from the dead was that there was a new way to encounter God. Jesus wasn't joking when he said, I'm the way the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. One time when Jesus was telling, talking to his disciples about how difficult it was to get into the kingdom of God, he said it's as difficult to get into the kingdom of God as it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples said, and this scripture says, they said they were exceedingly amazed, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. I want you to think about that word saved because we're going to get back to it later. It's a biblical word. See, God created you with self-interest. God created you to be self-interested. And you're not going to buy into anything unless it satisfies your self-interest. Now, as you grow and mature in life, you learn to be interested in others. But we're, we're drawn to faith and we're drawn to Christ. We're drawn to this, we're drawn to Christianity out of self-interest. It's kind of like David when David went down to, to face Goliath and, and he's being challenged by seeing, he's seeing what Goliath is doing to the people of Israel and how he's intimidating them. And he asked the question two times, what will be done for the man who kills this giant and takes away the reproach from Israel? Even though he, was a, he, was, he had great faith and he loved his nation, he had self-interest. He wanted to find out what was in it from There's nothing wrong with that, folks. In fact, there's something unhealthy about you if you don't take care of yourself. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself, right? So when it gets right down to it, what you really want to know is how to be saved. And that's what this new encounter is all about. When I say it's new, it's, it's a new encounter that didn't reliably exist before Christ brought the kingdom of God to earth. So I want to read about that day that Paul got saved and either help you to revisit, for most of you hopefully, your own salvation and be reminded to invite people you know to this salvation or for some of you that to take that first important step of going from not having faith to having faith, going from, going from not following Christ 
to being a serious Christ follower. First, let's read the words of Paul. It's going to be the center of our story today. And then go back to Acts chapter 22, where he tells the story of his, of his own initial encounter with Christ. Romans 10, 8. For what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we are proclaiming. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, circle the, the phrase Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Circle saved in your mind, if not on your, or highlighted on your device. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. As the scripture says, anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same is Lord over all, or of all, and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now let's go to Acts 22. Apostle Paul is uh, on the verge of being arrested. And that arrest will take him eventually to Rome, where he will preach the gospel as he did everywhere. And the gospel will go to the rest of the world because of that. We're not going to get into that today. We just want to, I want to talk about his testimony and what he shared when he was brought before the local authorities. Brothers and, and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew born in the Tarshish of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. He's in Jerusalem. I should have told you that. Under Gamaliel, I was, brought, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. See, he understood where their anger at him was coming from. I persecuted the followers of the way to their death arresting both men and women, throwing them into prison, as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord, I ask? I am Jesus of Nazareth. Whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. So I want to tell you three things about Paul's encounter with Christ. Number one, it was a personal encounter. Number two, it was a humbling encounter. And number three, it was a saving encounter. A personal encounter, first of all. Now, Paul was religious. He was not a pagan. I know you read those, uh, uh, the idea of him persecuting Christians to their death. And you think, oh, he was some murderer. He was a bad man. No. Actually, in the Jewish tradition, he was what you would call a zealot. And if you want to understand zealotry, you go back to the Old Testament, and there's this really uh, interesting story, a uh, horrible story, but interesting story about when, when uh, this prophet named Balaam tried to curse Israel. He couldn't curse Israel. God would not let him curse Israel. So the, the, the enemies of Israel came up with a scheme to infiltrate the Israelites uh, with, uh, with, with, with temptation, 
And that would do the trick, which it pretty much did. As the, uh, as the, the Jewish men begin to be attracted to the Midianite ladies, and uh, they begin to, begin to intermarry with them and begin to party with them, I guess is a better way to put it. And, and there was one occasion when a, when a Jewish man took a Midianite woman into a tent, and a man named Phineas, who was the son of Aaron, followed them into the tent, took a spear, and killed them in the tent. And he was lifted up as a hero in the nation of Israel. In fact, uh, the, the, it was said of him that his, his act of courage would never be forgotten. Now, that was, the, that was the tradition of zealotry, and that was the tradition that Paul had followed. Paul was, was seen as a hero in the Jewish culture and the Jewish religion. So we do not have a person who was a murderer and a horrible person. In fact, Paul was extremely religious. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he, was, he said the, two different prayers, the Shema and the Tefillah prayers, every morning. The Shema was Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 7. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, is one, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. He would also do the tefillah, which was a hymn. It was made up of a series of benedictions. They would say, Blessed art thou, O God of Abraham, of God of Isaac, O God of Jacob, most high God, Lord of heaven and earth, our shield and the shield of our fathers. Blessed art thou, O Lord, the shield of Abraham. So every morning he would say that, every afternoon he would do the, do the tefillah again, that same prayer, blessed art thou, O Lord our God, and so on and so forth. And, and then, then the, the third hour of prayer, the evening prayer, they would do the shema and the tefillah again. And then in between there were private petitions and prayers that were said, and of course there were the religious observances and holidays where they would, they would do more prayers before God. Saul was an extremely, extremely religious man. But he lacked an encounter with a living God. Amen? He lacked an encounter that separated truth from error in his life. He lacked an encounter that addressed his personal circumstances. He lacked an encounter that gave him the divine assignment for his life. But going to Damascus that day to persecute Christians, Paul met the master. When you either never have or you neglect a life of personal encounter with the Lord, error persists in your life. Personal reality goes unaddressed by God and personal life direction will be muddled at best. See, it's very interesting that when Jesus first came and John the Baptist came and Jesus came, what did they, what did they preach? They preached the gospel of the kingdom of God. That's what the language that you see. But as you move away from the four gospels and, you get, and years go by, you don't hear so much about the gospel of the kingdom. You hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that doesn't mean that the kingdom of God is not really, doesn't really matter and really important. And there are probably a number of reasons that we want to get into why the language began to change from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I say that what God wanted to impress on the world more than anything else was that the world needs a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. So we preach the gospel of the kingdom. Yes, we believe in the gospel of the kingdom, but front and center 
in the church of Jesus Christ. Front and center in our message is the gospel of Christ. In our effort to ensure that the gospel is a proclamation of the kingdom, that it's a proclamation of universal change, that's what, that's what Israel needed to hear in, in the gospel, four gospels. It's a proclamation of universal change. It's an announcement of the reign of God on earth. And it's the foretaste of the new heavens and the new earth. In our zeal to do that, we need to make sure not to skip over the life dynamic, changing opportunity that each of us can experience an individual life-changing encounter with Christ. Paul cared about the kingdom, but he didn't know Jesus. We see two different things, two different judgments awaiting the world. One is the judgment of nations. We, get, we go into the book of Revelations this morning. We could, we could show you where there is in the future of the world a judgment of nations. But six different times there's a reference to individuals, names being written or not written down in God's book of life. Not nations, but, but people. We wouldn't want it any other way, by the way. The omnipresence of God is so we can all personally know God. That's the good news this morning is that you can know the Lord. In Genesis, we read, Enoch walked with God and, walked, and, and was not for God took him. And we, we could go on for, I could go on for some time about the special attention that God gives to every soul. Every hair of your head is numbered, the Bible says. I could go on for a long time about the special attention that God gives to every soul because it's, it's why you should want to be saved today. It's why you should be want to be saved by grace. So, so the Bible says you can have access to the throne of God in your time of need. God is not just concerned about group identity. He's not just concerned about nations. He's not just concerned about the human family. He's concerned about you. He knows about you. He ordained that you would be in this service today. He ordained that you would be sit sitting right where you sit here today. He has planned this day with you in mind. <laughs> Paul was not, I'm trying to make the point, he was not a bad man. He was an unsaved man. Tim Keller said, God's salvation does not come in response to a changed life. A changed life comes in response to salvation. So an encounter with Christ. Paul's encounter with Christ was a personal encounter. Every one of you here today are being offered a personal encounter with God through Jesus Christ. Every one of you today are being offered to let the Holy Spirit move into your being and into your soul. That is the meaning of salvation. Secondly, an encounter with Christ is a humbling experience. It's a humbling encounter with Christ that Paul had. When he asked the question, who are you, Lord? He wasn't declaring that he knew who it was, but acknowledging that whoever it was, it was the Lord. Whoever it was, 
It was the master, and that culture understood lordship. We don't really understand lordship today, but they understood lordship. He was, he was very aware of the emperor worship that existed in Rome at the time, and the Caesars had begun to declare themselves as the Lord. They'd be, begin to declare themselves as divine. A common greeting when you would walk down the street in the, the, the Greco-Roman world was Caesar is Lord, and the person walking by you would say, He is Lord indeed. That's why the story of the wise men is so important, because uh, they, they believe that, that the stars would tell them, and, and, and the Caesars would, would, would have star constellations put on the coins that they would, that they would, uh, would manufacture to show that they were divinely appointed. So Saul knew about lords, and he didn't know who that was that shined a bright light in his eyes and caused him to fall off of his donkey. He didn't know who it was that knocked him to the ground, but when somebody knocks, them to, knocks you to the ground, you call him Lord. <laughs> when somebody stops you in your tracks, you call him Lord. He said, I don't know who you are, but you're Lord. You're the boss. You're the master. That was the acknowledgement. It was a humbling experience. And then he said, what would you have me do, Lord? He was giving away his authority that day. <laughs> Paul said those two important things. Who are you, Lord? What would you have me do? Very important things. The, the Greek word kurios means, is the word for Lord, means a supreme master. The Hebrew counterpart is Baal, and it meant a mastery as having domination. One time in Israel's history, when they were disobedient to God, they were, they were forced to submit to a group of idol worshipers in a place called Shechem, and those, those men there were called the Baals of Shechem. They were the lords of Shechem. Paul the Hebrew knew his Hebrew history, so he knew what it meant to say, Who are you, Lord? And what would you have me do, Lord? Have you looked at Christ and called him Lord? Have you looked to Christ and asked, what would you have me do, Lord? And we know that wasn't just what is my next step. That was the next step for the rest of his life. The biblical record shows that Christ loves it when humans enjoy him. Petition him. Include him. Jesus didn't. Jesus didn't interrupt every encounter by saying, do you believe in me? You don't believe in me? I'm not eating with you. No. He didn't interrupt every person who asked him for a favor and said, well, do you believe in me? Or are you going to make me Lord of your life? No. Jesus went about just like you do in your life. I like it when I like to Christians witness and share their faith. But I've been I've known a few Christians in my life. Who, who overshared. <laughs> Maybe you know a Christian somewhere who just overshared. I mean, it's just like you couldn't talk about you couldn't talk about the game, or you couldn't talk, you couldn't have lunch, or you couldn't just talk to somebody about their their situation. Because are you born again, brother? Are you saved? You know, I I love to tell the story. I probably told it a hundred times here, but 
a, a guy my mother always told me about who went door-to-door witnessing, we used to call it. And, and he went to the door and he knocked on the door. This happened in a little town of Farmersville, Texas, where I grew up part of my life. And he knocked on the door, said, the person answered the door, said, said, do you know Jesus is your personal Savior? And the person said, no. He said, well, go to hell then. <laughs> Some people overshare. <laughs> no, Jesus talked to people and he loved people and he enjoyed people and people enjoyed him and he didn't make everything about, do you believe in me? Well, forget it. If you don't believe in me, I'm not talking to you. No. But Christ's power, listen to me, Christ's power to break the chains of death in our lives are only realized when we call him Lord. It is not realized when he's our friend. Our purpose for being on this planet are discovered when we ask, what do you have me to do, Lord? I'm only a fallible human being. And I know sometimes I feel I have limited benefit in people's lives due to the fact they won't give me any measure of authority in their lives. If they would just give me the honor and respect to, to, to ask for my advice, there's a few people I could really help. There's a few people I could really make their lives better if you just listen to me. And if I feel that way, as a fallible, weak, foolish human being that I am, how much more the Lord of the universe who created everything How much more must he grieve today when you and I will not call him Lord? When you and I will not say, what would you have me do? That was a privilege that didn't exist before the book of Acts. Now, authority sounds oppressive, doesn't it? But it's it's because you don't understand that the dark forces of this world have already taken authority over you. The dark forces of this world have oppressed us. And the only way the dark forces that ruin our lives can be conquered is by the force of a greater conqueror. Saul was, see, Saul was oblivious to the fact that he was acting under the guidance of the dark forces of evil. He was, he was oblivious to that. Regardless of how purely motivated he was, he was doing it Satan's way and not God's way. You know, if you are trapped as a hostage in a hostage situation, law enforcement shows up as your only hope for freedom, you and the the predator both have to come under the authority of the law enforcement that shows up to save you. That predator will, 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 will have to surrender for prison sentence or whatever, You surrender so you can be free. The doctrine of surrender is so powerful. It's not negative. It's not oppressive. It's deliverance from oppression. Christ doesn't come as Lord to oppress you, but to liberate you. I feel very strongly that to say that some of us who have been saved by Christ have returned to our bondage. And we desperately need to restore ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. This is not just a salvation moment for the believer, but it's a lifetime salvation process. 1 Peter 3.15, but in your heart set apart Christ as Lord. That's talking to everybody in this room. In your heart set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope. Notice, Notice that Christ's lordship brings hope. 
Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. So, it's a humbling encounter with Christ that saves us. It's a saving encounter with Christ. Based on what Paul said in Romans 10, 9, and 10, and many other places, we know that he considered the encounter he had on the road to Damascus to be a personally saving encounter with Jesus. One that he, he dedicated the rest of his life to bringing the rest of the world into. Immediately after Paul's encounter, he went to Jerusalem. He, he, he went to, not to, he was already in Jerusalem, but he went over to a place called, the, a street called Straight, the Bible says, to a man's house with Ananias who prayed over him because he was blinded by that light. And when Ananias prayed for him, scales fell off his, his eyes and he could see. And he was baptized in water and uh, Ananias laid hands on him and prayed for him and he received the Holy Spirit. Imagine that Paul is being so zealous and religious and yet he hadn't had any of these experiences. Imagine that he thought he had it all. He thought he had it all, man. He thought he should be telling other people what to do. And he found out he got his education and found out he knew nothing. Found out he had nothing. He found out that he, found out that he had it all to learn. Man, we can be like that in life, you know? We're all like that sometimes. And we just don't think, we, we don't think, well, I don't need that. I don't need what that preacher's talking about. I don't need what the church is talking about. But I'll tell you, when it happens to you, you're going you're gonna to go, thank God I got smart. Thank God I smartened up and found the Lord of my life. Now, here's an interesting thing about Paul is he, you know, he went, I, 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 until the last couple of years, I really started reading Paul and, and uh, reading uh, N.T. Wright, who does such an amazing job of uh, talking about the life of Paul. I didn't really realize that Paul actually went away for about 10 years. And, and I'm not saying he didn't do any ministry during that 10 years, but he didn't do the type of public ministry that we know him for today for 10 years. You know what he was doing? He was having a person. He, he said, in fact, he said, and, and I believe it's Galatians, he said, I conferred not with flesh and blood. You know what was happening? He was having a personal relationship with Christ. In fact, during that time, he was actually, he said, I was taken up into the heavens, in the body or out of the body, I do not know, he said. But I saw things that's not lawful for me to tell. I know that God has a plan, big plan for you, all of your lives, and that's great. I know that, and I'm looking forward to you discovering that. But don't skip the beauty and wonder of you having a personal relationship with Christ. You having a get to know him and him getting to know you and letting him just love you and you love him back. Don't skip that, okay? And we're going to try to put you to work around here. You better believe it. We'll try to put you to work. But don't skip a personal relationship with Christ because going to work in, the, in church work is not your, person, not your personal relationship with Christ. you got to have that. You can, you, can do per, you can do church work and be a, a million miles from God. That would be a tragic, wouldn't it? you got to hear. Yes, now, we talk about people being saved. But you got to hear the bad news first. <laughs> the, the gospel means good news. But it ain't good news if there's no bad news. You know, like, if I came over here and informed you, you know, you don't have cancer. 
You'd say, well, I knew that. I'm pretty sure I didn't have cancer. It's not good news to hear you don't have cancer when you don't have cancer already. What's good news is when you've been diagnosed with cancer, and then the doctor comes in and says, you're cancer-free. Now, that's good news. But it takes bad news to have good news. We need to figure out what the gospel of salvation is. We need to revisit that. God is for your inner healing, by the way. But your inner healing is not the gospel of salvation. God is for you having a more positive mental attitude. And he will help you with that. But a more positive mental attitude is not the gospel of salvation. God is for your inner peace and inner tranquility. But it's not, that's not the gospel of salvation. God is for relational reconciliation. But racial, I mean, I mean not racial, but uh, relational reconciliation is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus went around helping people all the time who were, who, who were not, did not become saved, but he helped them. He healed people. He helped them. He blessed them. He raised them from the dead. But that's not, that's, helping people is not the gospel of salvation. God is for biblical social justice. But social justice is not the gospel of salvation. God is so patient with you, but he's also candid. The bad news, unless you have received Unless you have surrendered to Christ, the bad news is you are unsaved. The bad news is that you are captive to sin. Romans 5, 6, 8, you see it just the right time. When we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Ungodly, that sounds pretty negative, doesn't it? That's the bad news. I'm ungodly. Un means not. Godly means yes. I'm not godly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man some might dare to die, but God demonstrates his love in us while we were still sinners. Without Christ, I'm a sinner. Without Christ, you're a sinner. You say, well, I just make a few mistakes. No, the Bible doesn't talk about mistakers. It, it didn't say Christ died for mistakers. <laughs> a mistake is when I didn't mean to do it. Right? Listen, I got plenty of stuff in my life that I meant to do. It was, I, I, was, I, was, I was very intentional. <laughs> but God demonstrates his love for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The cross means two things. The cross of Jesus that he died on. It means God punishes sin. And God forgives sin. <laughs> Some people think we can leave out the bad news, have good results, but it's not possible. A doctor can never do his or her job or her job if they 
were prohibited from delivering bad news. So you can, you know, what if the board approved, I don't know how they do, they hire you to be a doctor, and they go, we want you to do a great job as a doctor, but you cannot tell anybody bad news. Can't do it. A coach would never do his or her job if they were prohibited from delivering bad news to their players. An auto mechanic could never do a good job if they were prohibited from delivering bad news. Right, Eric? <laughs> a lifeguard. What about a lifeguard who could, never, who could never let it be known that anyone was drowning? You know, the guy's out there, and he's going under the waves, and somebody says, well, are you going to do something? Well, if I, if I go out there, that he'll, he'll make them feel bad. Because I'll, I'll have, I'll, he, will, he will think that I didn't think that he was able to swim. And that will hurt his self-esteem. So I'm sure he will, I'm sure if we just think positive thoughts toward the guy out there that's in the waves, that he will, it'll be okay, right? Because we can't damage his self-esteem. No, no. They go into panic mode because the guy's drowning. Well, that's what's happened to the human race. And that's what's happening to all of humanity today is we're lost. We're not saved. We're drowning. Now, with some of you, it seems like you're, you know, it seems like this. We do it like this because we don't want to give people bad news. We say, you're already saved, Okay. But would you, like to, would you like to be really saved? <laughs> You're already okay. You're already okay with God. Everything's fine. Don't, nothing's wrong with you, but would you like to be like nothing's really wrong with you? <laughs> no, we got to just tell people the bad news. Paul thought he was okay, but he wasn't. He thought he was okay. He, he would be the first to tell you, my life is so much better since I let Christ diagnose me instead of my own self-diagnosis. If you realize you're not saved, consider it a moment of mercy and grace, not a moment of judgment. The really bad news is if we don't let Christ save us, we're facing a lost eternity separated from God. That's what the gospel says. The state of separation from God can't be glossed over. Jesus called it hell. In fact, Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven. Tim Keller says, unless we come to grips with this terrible doctrine, we will never even begin to understand the depths of what Jesus did on the cross. His body was being destroyed in the worst possible way, but that was a flea bite compared to what was happening in his soul. When he cried out that his God had forsaken him, he was experiencing hell itself. Modern people, he goes on to say, don't so much object to the doctrine of hell as they do the idea that only those who come to Christ for salvation will avoid going there. But that is, that is, that is saying that good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. You can't believe that faith in Christ is not necessary, or you can believe, I meant to say, you can believe that faith in Christ is not necessary, or you can believe that we are saved by grace, but you cannot believe both. Let me say that again. You can believe that faith in Christ is not necessary, or you can believe that we're saved by grace, but you cannot believe both at once. It's one or the other. So modern people's inclusive approach is to really be quite exclusive, because they say 
that good people can find God and bad people can't. The Christian message that Christ saves us from hell is not more exclusive than the claim that merely a good person and being good will save you from hell. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, let me close with this. Repentance is not just something bad people need to do. It's something misguided people need to do. I'm convinced most people are doing the best they can. That's, they're telling me it's time to quit. That's what that means. I'm convinced most people are doing the best they can, but the best I can do is always off the mark. Saul, let's think about it. I, want to, I know I've talked about this and alluded to this already, but let's close with this. Saul was this well-educated, purely motivated guy, but he needed a Lord and a Savior. He needed to humble himself before a nobody saint named Ananias and receive the Holy Spirit. He needed to be baptized in water and join the church. He needed to stop this craziness of thinking God would ever want him to take the problems of the world on his shoulders and solve the world's problems, which is what he was trying to do. He wasn't under-functioning. He was over-functioning. He needed to trust his life to a higher power. That's what it means to repent. Somebody just needs to, right now in this room, some of you need to look up to Jesus and say, Lord, what would you have me do? That's what brings us into a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Let's stand. I want our prayer partners to come and get in place. We have communion for you today. It would just be so amazing if there were a few people today, several of you here today, who would say, I need to cross that line of faith. I need to cross that line of faith and and I want to enter into a relationship with God that's a saving relationship. I'm ready. I'm going to just admit that I'm a sinner that needs a Savior. I'm going to admit that my righteousness is not enough. I'm going to admit that my efforts are not enough. I'm going to admit that no matter how many good deeds I've done, they're not enough. And I'm going, to put the, the, I'm going to put the whole weight of my life, just like we'd set this cup on this table, I'm going to put the whole weight of my life on the person of Jesus Christ. That's what I'm going to do today. I want to walk out of this building today a new creature, a new person, because I have put the reins of my life into the hands of one who knows me better than anyone else and loves me more than anyone has ever loved me the only human being who ever died for my sins. I'm going to put my life into his hands. That's what I want for you today, and that's what I hope for you today. I'm going to pray. When I'm done praying, you come. You can come and be prayed for for anything, by the way, anything that's going on in your life. You come, and these guys will do a fantastic job. Come and take communion. Let's enter into response time. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray for those who need to bow before the Lord of glory the one who loves them so much, the one who will deliver them from the powers of darkness. 
And I pray that many will make that choice today. I pray for others in this room who just have life situation that you, God, care deeply about and you're interested in helping us with. Because you didn't just die to save us eternally. You also came to earth to give us a better life on this earth. We pray that you will bring those to, 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 to this altar today and this, this response time who need help with the problems of life. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's enter into response time, church.